Okay, welcome to the uh, Swedish Junior Hockey Podcast. Jacob Dahlin, your host. Today we have a new guest, uh, Joachim Teander. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. This episode is brought to you by Scandlux, your home for Scandinavian luxury products for the U.S. market. You can find us at scandlux.com. So, so, of course, we have to use the Swedish nickname, so so Jukke. So in the past we've yeah. had Dange, Dagge, Mange. Now we have Jukke on. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah. So um, where? So before we get into kind of the introduction, you're sitting in your home gym. In tell us where you're at. No, I was actually sitting in, in my work gym. Uh, in so your work this gym. Is the, my, uh, my partition apart. I have my uh, massage bank behind me, and you can see kind of the weights in the in the background. Uh, yeah. So I'm at I'm at, at the office uh, in Helsingborg in in southern Sweden. So for you that don't know Helsingborg, part of this podcast is also a geographical lesson for all North Americans about Sweden, and we try to get different people on. Helsingborg is north of Ramlösa. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. It actually is. Yeah. I, yeah. I have to. I have to. Uh, that was my first. I had to kind of look because I've been gone from Sweden for twenty five years, and uh, I knew where Helsingborg was. But when I when I popped it up on Google Maps, and I saw oh, Ramlösa, which I didn't know was yeah, an actual. Yeah. For you that don't know, Ramlösa is is a, a popular uh, carbonated water. I guess you would call it. In, in Sweden yeah. that everybody drinks. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but 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 uh when I think of Helsingborg, I think the the most closest city of Sweden to Denmark. That's what I think of. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. The bond and the proximity to, to Denmark is is uh is really uh yeah it's noticeable when you're here, definitely. Yeah, definitely. yeah, of course. You could tell that I left before the bridge was built between Malmö and Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah, I've all been right. here all the time. Yep, yep. So let's let's get started because the, the the reason why I wanted to have you on um, your background in strength and conditioning and the the within the junior hockey and hockey world, it's about the off ice and how to. The main topic that I wanted to talk about today is is really how do you build. Uh, how do you build the athlete away from the ice and how do you, how important is that? Um, and, and just to give you a little perspective and a little background of, of I've always, I mean, I grew up as a kid watching the evolution of, of the new athlete with, within the outside of hockey really. And that was more of athletes like Gunda Swan. I think I mentioned that on a previous episode that I thought was really eye-opening about not just being a good athlete, but what else, how do you become a pro in the training, the recovery and the fuel component of it? So you, uh, you've put out some, some simple, but really poignant articles on LinkedIn. And, and, and I wanted to talk about, your philosophy and your background um with that too so tell us a little bit about your background because you've been working within hockey and outside of hockey for for a number of years 
Yeah, I, absolutely. And so I, I started out as, as a personal trainer back in, uh, I think I got my license in two, 2010 uh, and started working uh, at the commercial gym. Uh, and I did that for, for quite a while. So I didn't get into to training athletes for for the first five years. So the first five years, I just had like uh, regular mortal clients uh, training. Um, and um, the thing that I kind of noticed there was that, that I, I came to a point where I started giving people training programs or templates where we did changes more for the change, sake of change uh, than that we were here, uh, than that we were actually heading somewhere. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not particularly good at sales. So uh, in order to kind of make a living, I needed some to create results that kind of spoke for, the, for themselves. So I started uh, just poking around the internet and just trying to find good uh, sources of, uh, of, uh, of information. And uh I uh, ran into this uh, site called Starting Strength uh, with a quite controversial uh, Texan named Mark Ribito. And uh, the thing with him is that he had a way of explaining model training to me that really resonated with me. And um, and uh, even though he hasn't got all the answers, uh, it was a good start to go. But I could see that after working uh, uh, from his uh, philosophies and what he was thinking about training uh, for a couple of years. I did solve a lot of problems uh, during that time, but there were also problems that that wasn't solvable and that kind of sometimes got worse. Uh, so I uh, so I started kind of uh, reaching out and looking to how could we kind of fix weird movements, pain and stuff. Uh, when I was getting my, my personal training license back in 2010, um, the definition I was given then was uh, personal trainers, they train healthy people that function, and physios, they train the, the sick and, and bad people. And the problem is that we don't have too many healthy functional people. Most people have some ailments or they have pain and, and uh, disruptive uh, moving patterns and, and, and so on. So I started kind of looking at what I, how I could kind of fix uh, the errors that, that barbell training could not uh, do. So had a my philosophy was like I, I quite early picked up that most physical performance or all physical performance uh, is kind of a base is a derivative of, of strength uh, if you might say uh, so uh, if you're strong enough you will be able to handle uh, most um, uh, most of the stuff that life kind of throws at you uh, but uh, so I had to kind of reconsider that. Uh, so I started uh, uh, kind of dabbing in foam rolling and active release techniques and, and stuff like that. I, I tried a lot of di di different stretching techniques and and none of that kind of worked. I've had some occasional success with some client, and but I can kind of see that it was more a fluke than that it was kind of uh, pure science and and, and pragmatic uh, in that way. Um, so then I started tapping into kind of the biomechanics of the body. How does the body work and why does it do all these movements uh, and uh, how does the mu muscles attach and how do, does, uh, does it move over the joints and stuff like that. And, and I had some additional success uh, from there. Um, but um, then I stumbled, on, uh, stumbled over uh, muscle activation techniques, uh, a concept uh, created by Greg Roscoff uh, in, in the U.S., uh, and they um, 
They made their education uh, platform more available during the pandemic. Uh, so I think many of the trainers now have a lot to thank the pandemics for. Uh, for those of us who didn't go broke because uh, of uh, lockdowns, we didn't have a lot of lockdowns in Sweden, but, but um, for those of us who kind of survived, uh, there's a ton of like really good educational material out there uh, if you have the time and the money to, to, uh, to interact with it. Um, so I did that uh, for a year. And uh, MIT is basically when you look at uh, the uh, neuromuscular connection. Um, so how, um, and that's just a fancy word of saying how well or how uh, efficient uh, does the muscle contract? And what he found out that I had found out years before, just couldn't really grasp what I had found, was that that um, the correlation between limitations in range of motion, how the body moves, is re is highly correlated to weaknesses. So that means if that that the tightness in the body probably not is not a lengthening problem, but a shortening problem problem. And that kind of changed a lot of how I think about training and how I approach training uh, today uh, with just that kind of fact. Um, so the story behind it was I had years ago, I had this businessman really, really successful come in to the gym. I wanted to put on some muscle. It was a little scrawny guy, uh, but he was hugely into numbers. And I mean, this guy was, he's the stiffest person I've ever met. And, before and after. I mean, this guy was stiff as a brick. So he couldn't, he couldn't even, he could, he could barely touch the, the top of his kneecaps with his fingertips without kind of really hunching over. So I did all this foam rolling and ART and, and stuff for him for 10 weeks. Uh, so he paid for, for, 10, for 10 weeks and we had zero results. I had nothing to show for it. And he was uh, furious, um, understandably, and wanted a refund. And uh, so after talking to him uh, for quite a while, kind of trying to calm him down, <laughs> we made an agreement that he would give me an, an additional 10 weeks uh, free of charge. And that's kind of how you learn. When you start working for free, you learn. Um, so uh, I was sitting in my office, just I got this guy to come come down and, 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 and come back. But what do we need? I need to produce some, some kind of result. And the, the, the thing that I knew best then was strength training. So uh, I had him deadlift from blocks. So the barbell started uh, from the top of his knees. And we did sets of, uh, we did five sets of five. Uh, and every session we added five kilos. And every third session, I could lower the block kind of at like 10 centimeters until after 10 weeks, he actually put on 40 kilos uh, on the barbell and he was deadlifting from the floor. I was like flabbergasted. This just kind of, went against everything I thought I knew about training and how the body works. So I knew that, that the strength part is like a vital component in how the body moves. I just didn't know why it was. I knew it was like that, but didn't know why. And the muscle activation technique that they kind of explained it to me and, and how it works. So, so what you do as a practitioner is that you, you quickly assess the body uh, left side to right side to see if there are any asymmetries. And as soon as you find a uh, uh, limitation in range of motion, you kind of know that if you find it with the leg in abduction with internal rotation, you know that the muscle that crossed that kind of axis, some of those are weak. Maybe all, maybe some, maybe one. 
uh, and you have these different tests. Uh, we have so you you test the muscles uh, in its extreme range of motion because that's where you're going to find your weakness. Uh, close to the body, close to neutral, where, where the where the muscle is kind of in mid range. Everybody's strong all the way, all the time. Even you see that the, the old people walking with walkers, they kind of shuffle with their feet because their body keep the body neutral. It's the body's way to kind of protect itself from from uh, from uh, from being vulnerable uh, if there is no stability in the end ranges. Um, so with the MIT, I could now I could finally kind of uh, start to fix people getting them into the gym because um, MIT, like any other manual therapy, doesn't add strength. It's like it's kind of like with your car. If if you have muscle limitations, you might be able to drive a car in the first gear. There will be a lot of revs and low speed, and, and um, sooner or later you will blow your engine. And so what the MIT does is it gives you access to kind of all the gears, so you can drive your body uh, as a, uh, as it's supposed to to, to be uh, to function. So, so before explain uh, MAT from a from a standpoint for those who never heard of MAT, the practical how do you actually do MAT? You have a video uh, out there that that kind of shows the palpation or the it's not a it's not necessarily a stretching or lifting. It's more of yeah. a, a, a it's I mean it looks like massage to me. Yeah. And he's not, I've had that, and then they're like, "Oh, oh, this doesn't yeah. feel like massage at all." <laughs> it's like, yeah, I kind of not. It's not, no, uh, no. So, so what what you do is you you, you try to reestablish or you try to fortify or, or strengthen the communication between the nervous system and the and the muscles, and you do that uh, with what's called the muscle spindles. The muscle spindles are small receptors that's uh, located in between the muscle fibers in the muscle, and they react to lengthening. So when I push, when I palpate the muscle, it lengthens, and that will activate iron, uh, uh, and the communication will kind of get some feedback, and it will uh, start to fire and and increase its contractible efficiency. It's is is there is there uh, relatedness to acupuncture? Um, that is yeah, more. I mean, it's more. I, that's more. I, that's more I, from I, a standpoint of nerves. You know. Yeah, it's more yeah from nerves. So, so maybe a bit like dry needling, um, because that will also elongate the muscle. So it's all about elongating the muscle uh, to, to to make uh, to just kind of fortify the the signal that is sent back and forth uh, between the the nervous system and the muscle. So and the, so and at first when I was introduced to it, like well mm, maybe not, but you can say some weird things that where where you kind of palpate and you get the muscle to activate and fire and contract as it's supposed to be. It open up opens up uh, limitations, so it opens up the range of motion. Uh, so people coming in, uh, and that's kind of like the party trick I use when I when I do lectures about this. And and uh, and uh, so mobility is not a, a, a lengthening problem; it's a shortening problem. So you take somebody that's kind of tight somewhere, and you just you palpate, and you go from one point. And suddenly they can kind of move in another, in a, a much more open direction. Um, so if we go back to kind of, um, uh, you know, that's kind of your your specialty. But but from the basics, though, uh, when we're talking about you mentioned strength, right? Yeah. And and uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a plug in on your. You have a really good website, so relevantstatic.se or relevantstatic.se. 
S-T-A-R-K.se. It talks about, you know, the difference between, um, I, I thought this was really interesting, workout versus training. Yeah. You know, the what, what a lot of people say, well, I'm going to go work out versus I'm going to go train and the difference. I want to talk about that. And yeah. and then also the the um, the issues when it comes to stability, flexibility, uh, balance and strength. Uh, yeah. So talk about that a little bit on it's not just, uh, you know, where I'm coming from is. A lot of people focus so much time in the hockey world. They sp- focus so much time on improving stick handling, improving shooting, improving edge work, and and everything is so much done with skates or with the stick. And very little is built on how am I building my body that is going to be the main tool to to use it all, and then. If you break down how they build their body, it's mainly the big muscles, or they may be doing that. Um, they're working perhaps in in the, the not not the most optimal way to actually build the athlete's body for hockey or for whatever sport they yeah. may be in. So, so uh, let me let me ask you and lead you in this direction. What are the problems that you see post or maybe with you know the older junior age, 18, 19, 20 year olds that you see are like common problems that may have started pre-puberty, post-puberty that you can actually do something about or maybe even correlating that with elite athletes that you see or like this guy that you were saying, what you saw there was a was a very unflexible person. Yeah. So, what are the what are the problems that you see? Uh, you mean, yeah. So, yeah. So, so your your question t- kind of ties together. That's how I kind of use the 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 toolbox that I have with barbell training for strength, biomechanics to just make make everything function as it's supposed to, and MIT to kind of either check out that what we're doing is the correct thing uh, and and uh, and if and just kind of like the test just to see where are the weaknesses where, what happens uh, when you do this uh, and uh, what happens when we train it um so for me uh, the problem i think is that that there is it's it's a lot of it's a lot either or uh in, in and, and it's and it's a lot of either or and, and in the in a group session group setting setting not session group setting uh so either you you have these barbell freaks that just that's the only thing we're going to do uh or they everything is just about conditioning or everything is just about uh, agility or, or speed instead of kind of looking at what what every individual needs uh so my my take on, on hockey is, is 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 based on the pragmatic experience that I have. So I got this guy coming in from, uh, to my office about four years ago. He, he and I, we're, he's the longest uh, uh, relationship I had working with one uh, hockey player. And this guy was, he had a 130 squat, he had a 140 deadlift, he had a 50 kilo press overhead, he had, a, I think he had a 75 kilo bench and a 95 kilo clean. And the way I handled it back then was just classic. We need to get you strong. So 
the, the first thing I could I noticed is that he had no idea what he was doing. He was squatting, he was dead, he was just pulling the bar with everything he had. And so so the first the first thing we had to do is just treat him proper mechanics. So why do we lift? How do we lift? What happens with your body when you lift? How are you how are you uh, how are you constituted? Do you have a long torso, short legs? Uh, so I used the analogy for him uh, as I did with every other player that I, that I have. Uh, I'm 183 centimeters. My wife is 170. When I step into a hard car, I can't reach the, I can't reach the pedals, but I, I bang my head my my head in the ceiling. So even though she's one and a half uh, decimeters shorter than I am, her legs are like enormously long. So come to say a deadlift, the mechanics will be totally different. My hip will be much more open in angle wise in a deadlift than hers. She hers will be much more fast. And these guys, when they have a group setting, what do they do when they're unsure? They look at the other guys. And number one, you know that the other guy is doing the, the proper thing. No, you don't. And does he look like you? Probably not. So I think that a lot of coaches and from a young age, we need to see ourselves as more as teachers than coaches. We don't need the drill sergeants. We need teachers because they need to be taught proper lifting techniques. Uh, and when you do that, you will see if weird things happen. If they start to buckle in their knee, if they start to turn and twist with their back, if they hunch over, whatever. And with the right proper, with a proper tool case there, you can kind of spot and analyze and, and see what they need. And that's where the kind of the, the small things come in, in with the biomechanics. So, so let me uh, let me interject with this because I, I this just was a conversation I had yesterday here in the U.S. the the common uh, feedback that scouts and and um, um, agents have about Swedish players coming to the U.S. You know, we're right in the middle of the NHL combine, so the draft is coming up, and the juniors or the young, you know, they may just, they may still be in juniors. They may be playing the SHL, but the, but the common thing is smart, great people, skilled, but, uh, but they're coming. Uh, they have two problems. They're not strong and they don't know how to compete. Well, your part may not be able to compete, address the compete issue, in relation to the Canadian or the the U.S. player, but the strength part, you know, yeah. so so um, and 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 so, what is your opinion of when you're talking about the teachers versus coaches? You know that what is what is the level of? I'm not saying this in a critical way, but what's your opinion on the level of competency among? strength coaches or just coaches in general in Swedish hockey federation or sweet Swedish hockey organizations. Yeah, it, I, I, I mean, I'm sure yeah. it's lacking, right. But yeah, it, it, it is. I, I'm not particularly impressed not having seen everybody. And, but we have had, there is a couple of really good ones. The Fölunda has one uh, in Paraherlund. Uh, we had Stefan Thompson in Fulefti a couple of years ago that did an enormously uh, Good work with, with those people and I've learned a lot from those two uh, so but I think if the strength is, issue is I think that correlates over to to to, to uh, the competitiveness I mean uh, 
building strength builds resilience both mentally and in the body. I mean, racking off a weight on your back that feels like it's going to crush you and then kind of squatting down, hoping to get up again. I mean, that that will that will build some minerals in you, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, will, that will produce some mental toughness uh, as it is. So, so what I come across is that a lot of the guys don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're trying to achieve and they don't know why why they're doing it. All right. So let, let, let me, I'm sorry, but I have to, because you mentioned this on your website too. And I was going to talk about goal setting and, and setting goals. I think, is that kind of what you're talking about too, is they don't know where, where they are and where they're going. Yeah, absolutely. Why? So, so, yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, so, and I think that is the, the big question when it comes to building hockey players is why. So what, 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 why do we train them in the gym? Why not just go on the ice? What, what, is, what does the gym do for them? And what are we trying to achieve when we do it? So first of all, you need to kind of look at hockey as a sport. What, is, what kind of sport is it? For me, it, it was that it's a contact sport. More or less, it's just contact. So instead of kind of looking at what transfer to ice or to the specific sport, my way to look at it is, how do we get them to survive, practice, games, lives, tackles, everything that kind of revolves around ice hockey? How do we get them to survive that? How do we get them to practice when they need to practice? Go to every game, never miss a game. So, I mean, the, 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 the best ability uh, any athlete can have is availability. So the general strength foundation for players should be the main thing to focus on from an, quite an early age. Even though it's hard to make, to have, if you have like 20, 13 year olds, may, teaching everybody to, to, to do proper barbell squats is hard. But there's a lot of other things that's also hard that we that we manage. So it's, it's all about solutions and trying to solve it in, in, with, the, with the hand that you kind of dealt. But the, I think that, that we need to focus a lot more on the basic foundational strength from an early age. And when you have that, when you're resilient and robust enough, then we can kind of look at your specific role in the team and what your weaknesses are. Uh, so, so if we if we define strength, I use the Latin words in in my uh, on my website just to 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 uh, appear a bit smarter than I really am. But I'm. <laughs> I, I chose recte fortius for a reason. It's 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 uh, translated to correct strength. Because if you're the guy that can squat double body weight, but jumping on one leg tweaks your back, then I'm sorry, you're not strong. No, you're not strong at all. You can you can be rigid and compact in a set setting where you're gonna do one thing, one thing, you're gonna squat down, you're gonna stand up again. But these kids, they need to be really strong in every angle. And that's where, if you look at somebody who cannot pronate their foot, so the, the arch of the foot cannot come down, then they will lack internal rotation of the leg. If there's no internal in, uh, rotation in the leg, there's no inter internal re rotation of the hip. That means when you squat down, you will fall forward, arch your back, and your knees will, kind of, will probably buckle. Then you know you have a problem. What happens when the same kid skates? Since he can't internally rotate when the uh, when the skate hits the ice, he'll just lean forward, arch his back. That takes muscle power away from the glutes and adds them to the back. 
Hence, we have a pro we could have a, pro a back problem on on our hands. Uh, and coming back to the hockey player that I've been with for, for four years, that was that that is what happened. We made him super strong. I mean, he went from one thirty to one eighty in squat, one forty to two hundred in deadlift, uh, benched over a hundred, and so on and so forth. Still, he'll tweak his back like three or four times every season, missing five, six, seven games. Then you're not strong. So I had to go back to the drawing board and kind of look at, okay. What are we going to do? By then, the first two years he was playing, uh, he wasn't playing around here, but then he moved back and played for the local for a, for a local team. So now I can see him every week. So we did MAT every week. And you can see every week he came in with internal rotation on the right side on his in his right hip. Shit. So we started working with his foot and his hip. And last season he played every game, came to every practice, and he didn't tweak his back once. So there's a difference between being strong and being proper strong. So proper strong is like handle when you need where you can handle what 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 the hockey is throwing at you. And being super strong where you have a double body weight bench press is cool on the beach, but not uh, on the rink. So how does that correlate then with kind of what you're also talking about, which is uh, strength is really about. Um, power explosivity and and stability right so when i'm yeah. thinking about hockey when you're saying it's a contact sport totally agree and it's also a it's a one-on-one -on -one game really uh, yeah. right? and it's also a game of starts and stops yeah and and not i mean you see a lot of players that have one speed and they are fast when they get their when they get their uh, you know, they're more like a long distance skier, you know, that can skate a long time and they can glide and they got a beautiful stride and they can, but, but the hot, the, the successful hockey player is the person that is extremely explosive in it starts and stops in different angles and not in big flow drills. Absolutely. Uh, and, and when you look at that, you can, you can take you. So, and he, now we start to, to kind of look at like, like plyometric training. Yep. And if you look at the guys who are really good at plyometric training, they have a definition that is really important, uh, I think, for, for, for most hockey coaches. So if you have ground contact between 0 0.1 second and 0 0.25, that's called speed strength. It's all about speed and being strong enough to be that fast. But when you exceed 0 0.25, and go upwards, that's strength speed. So it's more strength than it is speed, actually. And the average ground ice contact with skates is 0 0.35, 0 0.40. So you need to kind of load the body accordingly when you do your plyometric work for one. So, and that kind of indicates also that strength uh, might be more useful in a skating environment than in a running environment, for example. Yeah. Uh, so you need to kind of look at those parameters and see what this the the the, the kid in front of me need uh, in in that in that. And then you have the biomechanics part. Does his feet work? Does his hip work? Does his shoulder work as they should? Is he able to get everything out? And the the last the last thing that, that I think that that many hockey coaches, uh, from my experience, that there are a lot more than I, than I have met. If you want to be a quick skater, if you want to accelerate quickly on skates, that's what you need to practice. 
So do they practice that? And do, do, they, do they do it a lot, a, a, enough? So we can only do so much in the gym and then it needs to, 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 to be, uh, to be um, kind of trained or practiced at, uh, I mean, for skating fast is a skill uh, more than it's a, a physical uh, kind of output, even though it's both, you need to be strong enough to be fast enough, uh, but it's, it's a skill more than it is a strength feature. So uh, I, I wrote down one of my notes here, um, common problems the players learn too late or is it too late? It's not too late. So what you're saying, so everybody can have gains. So if your flexibility is is crap, you can improve it if you acknowledge that you got the deficit, put a plan in place to to address it. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, I've had 65-year-old academics coming in here looking like the, the hunchback of Notre Dame, and, and we fixed them up. It took, it took time, but these guys that we are talking about, these are... These are like prime human specimens when it comes to physical performance. They will adapt to just about anything or they won't be hockey players at that age. Yeah. What about, so you also mentioned that the, and I heard this when I was talking to Dog Venstrom about, you know, one of the things he talked about uh, in, in, it was actually a couple of episodes ago, and that's the problem of group training versus individual training. I get it. It's it's hard. We have limited resources. We have to do group training. But I think yeah. that it puts it puts the emphasis on if you just rely on group training, you're probably gonna you're, you're probably not gonna optimize. So how do you how do you find that balance? Because you in, in a hockey team, you may only have you got a part time you know strength coach that may have multiple teams, and we've yeah. got this team of let's say 20 players, 25 players that I'm working with, and we're probably going to do some type of circuit training. So how do you address, how would you address your player? Take the, the J 20 player that is going into a team that you know that they're going to have so many on ice practices. They're going to have the strength part before their training. Do you, augment a individual plan within the group or do you say do the group thing but add your individual things to augment that yeah first of all i i really never got why they why they why they uh, uh, go into the gym before ice i've never understood that. that that's for me that's ridiculous the main event is always hockey so if there is nothing left of the strength training we really don't care. It is what it is. They got what they got, and it is what it is. But going in and leaving some gains on the uh, on the floor of the, of the gym instead of getting those in the ice, I actually never got that. And I, when I work with hockey players, uh, I try to change that, and they just won't have it. Uh, and for me, that's super weird. Like really, really weird. Because we all, if, if we look at training as a, there's kind of like some rules that we need to abide to. And, and power training is like, you start with power training, then you do the strength training because the power training is speed and strength and the, the, the strength training is just kind of just strength. So you do that first. And the same thing goes here. So, so what if you can squat high number or you, or you kind of push yourself to the limit with the, on, on, the, on the salt bike or whatever you want to do on the gym? You want to you exceed that on the ice. If none of these guys had to go to the gym, 
I mean, half of them wouldn't go. If they could survive, if they could make it anyways, they would. So there need to be a point to why we go to the gym and they need to kind of understand why they are going there. And we need to, and the hockey community needs to kind of get their priorities. How, what is important? Is it the gym or the ice? So let's say, let's say that, all right, you can't change the schedule. What you can, you can schedule, what you can do is while I'm there, instead of focusing on doing heavy squats, maybe I'll do more flexibility and, and, and these type of things before my session. Is that? Yeah, it could be that. Yeah, yeah, it could be that. It kind of depends on what what you want to do and when in the season, I mean, if you're off season, then they will go all in on the gym. And if it's a preseason, I think tapering would be a good idea. So probably less, uh, a lot of heavy lifting, but, but a lot of, uh, but kind of zero volume. Uh, so just a couple of heavy lifts just to get the body uh, rocking uh, and then focus on what, what you're going to do on the on the ice. But if you look at the, uh, at the the group versus the individual setting, um, it kind of, I mean, it, it's, it's like you said, it comes down to, to time and money. How much money do you have and how much time do you have? Um, so if, if we look at what I do, like what I think is my best version of it. So... I teach the players how to lift. I teach them how to understand their, their lifting and their own bodies. So they can half and half kind of coach themselves. Yep. And at the gym, as uh, with, with the eyes, I mean, most of the time they're alone. Yes. Most of the time there is no coach to say, you need to do this. Uh, the coach steps in when there is a conundrum that needs to be solved. You're not getting this. So you need to go this and then explain to them. Uh, and the same goes with the gym. So if you have these guys that are starting to think about some of the uh, the anatomy, some of the uh, the muscle functions and what they're going to do and how they're going to do it, they can actually coach themselves. And when my athletes train on their own, they uh, film themselves. And I have this platform where they, uh, where they load up uh, the videos so that when they open their app, there is... These are the exercises you're gonna do. These are the reps and sets. These are the uh, how much weight you're gonna you're gonna lift, and this is the rest in between sets. And that's a set time that I am in charge of, uh, not them. And that's and that's true, coach. That you're talking about there, yeah, right? I true coach. And every exercise have a, a short instructional uh, film if they forget what they want to do or they just want to refresh. So if we want to do it like the 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 the, the thorough way uh, as I do it, I watch every lift and I give and give them feedback either written feedback or I I do a movie a film clip about what they're doing wrong and how they should correct it or just drawing on a picture uh, on a photo uh, or whatever but if I have a lot of uh, a lot of hockey players I could just kind of watch them take notes on what we're going to do and what we're going to talk about on the next uh, session we're going to meet up so I think you need to kind of see the individual in it because we have a responsibility, uh, especially uh, at the junior hockey players, for them to be able to continue to play hockey, not for as long as the body will do, but for as long as they want to. Yeah. Let me let me ask you for your if you had pixie dust, you have you can do whatever you want to. A typical junior team yeah. has fourteen practices per week. So hockey, hockey gymnasium, or um, let's say J18, J20. So whether, so, so this is typically going to be within a hockey gymnasium. 
four practices as a team in the evenings per week, two games per week, and they typically have two to three skills on ice skills practices per week um, with a skills coach. And then they probably have four times a week in the gym, somehow in combination with um, with with as, either as a team or individual. How would you, uh, is that a good balance? Is that sufficient? Is it insufficient? Is it out of balance when it comes to working on the off-ice portion? Kind of depends what you do in the off-ice uh, off portion, uh, but it's a lot of practice. And uh, I, I, I sometimes when, when we when I talk to people about this, we tend to forget that hockey practice also is training. Yeah. That will fatigue the guys uh, and girls, for that matter, a lot. And we need to take that in, into consideration. Uh, if there's sufficient rest, is there sufficient sleep? Are they eating enough? Uh, and so on and so forth. And even... I mean, if these guys are, are 16, 17, some of them might still be growing. So if somebody has a growth spurt during a year for what for 10 centimeters, that's gonna do a, a, a big that's gonna have a big impact. So I would look at how they move. And in the gym, we would work work on if there was stuff that didn't move as as they should. Uh, and I will take, um, since they're already training so much, and if the summer training didn't do it, I mean, for me, it's, it's too late. We have what we have, and we work, and we'll work with that. It's really hard trying to make gains, uh, even though many of these boys are kind of dipped in testosterone, going through a puberty, they can handle a lot of load and a lot of uh, fatigue and a lot of practice. Still would be careful because my experience is that many of them are suffering from knee pain, back pain, uh, and shoulder pain. Um, shoulder pain, not so, not, not so much, more hip pain. I would address those things in the gym. And we could use a lot of that time schooling them if they are not schooled uh, prior to that in the lifting mechanics. So what you're saying is if they're if they're training, if they're on the ice, whether they're doing so two skills, four team practices, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of endurance. There's a lot of um, muscle fatigue within those sessions and you get really, really tired as a body. Right. So uh, maybe not going on on the bike for 30 minutes during that off ice time but maybe what you need to be doing is mobility stretch stretching in parts of that and then use maybe some some of that time to work on explosion explosive strength rather than yeah. more another 60 minutes of heavy load yeah, I wouldn't do another sixty minutes of heavy load at all. So I, I, but I will do. I'm mean, kind of, kind of like the, the what what you said now. So I would look at. I mean, first of all, first and foremost, what we need to make, we need to have these people on the ice. Yeah. I don't really care how strong they are, how fast they are, and how conditioned they are if they are not playing. If they have bad knees or injured backs or, or hips, so that will, that that needs to be the priority. You need to kind of uh, analyze all of these kids what's what what is what is the problem what are they doing and and uh, maybe they're not doing anything wrong maybe they're just growing uh, so maybe you should uh, kind of focus on what they need to focus i've heard this, i listened to this interview with one of the 
uh, academic, uh, the chief of the uh, academy, of, I think it was Tottenham or, or Arsenal, where they measure uh, every kid twice a year uh, to see how much they grow. And if they go through a growth, growth spurt or they're in pain, they kind of just focus on getting them on the pitch for the game. Because uh, that's the most important thing, getting uh, that that kind of of, of uh, quality of of, of of the play. Um. So, so I think we have during season. If, if I mean, off season, and we work on all that stuff. We we get them strong, robust, resilient. If there is time over, we'll we'll focus on on, on power and conditioning. Uh, if there is not, no, uh, there will be power and conditioning uh, drills uh, on the ice. And during preseason. Kind of just taper on the gym, getting the last bits and pieces together, and and, and then start to get conditioning them on on the ice and getting that coordination back. Because uh, adding muscle mass during off season with not not going on the ice, that will kind of ruin your kind of coordination a bit. So we need yep. to kind of restore that. Um, if we could have ice time during off season, that would be the best. But but most clubs don't have that uh, that yep. option. Um, and then we when we then go into to the in season, then we need to work uh, on all the small things uh, that doesn't drain uh, the kids that much because we uh, injuries. I mean, the easiest way to for a player never to play hockey again is to just blow out his knee or whatever, and we don't want that. Yeah, so we need to kind of check out that all the muscles are, are there and they're working uh, as they should, uh, and. If you don't have a, a solid battery of tests, that could be really, really hard. So the first kind of group of hockey players that I worked with, they all had one. Uh, some of them, uh, a lot of them, had one one uh, feature that they had in common. Everybody hunched over when they were so when they were supposed to deadlift. Then they couldn't extend their the lower back uh, properly. So my logic to that was needs to be a stiff hamstring. So probably hamstring is weak. So we need to train the hamstring since there is no overstride in skating. As the, is the, there is in running, the hamstring is not elongated under force, hence it will become weak. So we did that, and absolutely nothing happened. It's just an utter waste of time. So when I had the skill set from, from MIT to actually test them, what they did have in common is that hip flexors were weak. So for them to not be able to extend their back was actually them not being able to shorten their uh, hip flexors. Uh, enough. Uh, so, when you have those kind of abilities to test your theories, then you can look at every individual player. And I think if you have a group of twenty people, you will have like five groups or maybe six groups that have just like the biggest parts in common. So you need to do five sessions, not twenty-five programs uh, with them. And um, so for me, it kind of comes down to skill set and 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 uh, being able to analyze what what movements you you're seeing. So how do you uh, let's take a, a new a new player comes to you? How long does it take for you to analyze? Um, and what are the ways that you analyze? How long you can you do that in one session? Yeah. Uh, you 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 see quite quickly if there is uh, something weird happening. If you do a complex lift like the deadlift or the, or the squat, you you'll see quite immediately if there is something that doesn't work. You can see the foot invert or evert. You can see knees kind of go wobbling all over the place or having a hard time kind of rotating the hip or over rotating the hip or being just stiff in the in, in the chest or whatever. And you, be, then you know. That's... But but let's say if you're working with a with a 
with a player from Umil. Yeah. It's a little tough to get that player from Umil down to Helsingborg. For those who I'm using to the geographical distance of Sweden being a very, very tall, long country, and it's very it's far distance between, and, and they may not have the means of flying down to Helsingborg. Can you do this remotely? Or it's harder? Yeah. And you can't do the MAT, but you can analyze the, what they're doing in the gym. Yeah, yeah, that's where the biomechanics comes in. Uh, I've done a lot of work for guys like Gary Ward and and, and David Gray that do a lot of uh, things. They call it closed chain uh, mechanics. That means what happens with the body when the foot is is on the ground, and um, uh, so we can work. We can work. So if you look, I can do sessions like we're doing now on Zoom or on FaceTime or whatever, and just follow them into the gym like that i mean it's it's not like having them here but yeah and, and you can't feel you can't do the mat yeah. that way at all but I, I i can see how their feet moves and how their hip move and we can do uh exercises that kind of strengthen uh those parts so as as, as i said before manual therapy will not build strength they will just um enable you to, to to go to the gym or kind of just alleviate some pain or take down some inflammation or whatever uh, so manual therapy is like that is is for that and and testing that what you're doing actually works yeah uh, the, the stuff we do in the gym is what makes the difference so so uh, kind of uh, this super interesting to me and 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 we talked a little bit offline about the so we're in the draft nhl combine right now and they i think i i think i saw that in 2013 so for 10 years they've been using uh specific testing during the combine combines and it's always controversial we see right now everybody's posting um uh connor bernard's uh the stuff that he's doing and how many pull-ups he can do. And, you know, it's pretty impressive because he's a, he's a phenomenal athlete. Absolutely. And he's the best player in juniors in the world. And he's going to be the number one draft pick. But what are your, what are some of the problems that you see if you're a GM? Are those tests the right test to be able to bank on whether or not this is going to be a good player? Or would you say, okay, it's it's a test, but we're we're gonna do something completely different? Yeah, but yeah, uh, no, I, th I think it's a test, uh, and and it kind of depends. So, so the 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 point and the, and the problem you have with testing a lot of, of people over a short period of time is there need to be kind of an overall test where you can kind of draw some kind of conclusion. But but and it but needs to be pretty simple. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, it needs to be quick and simple. Uh, so, uh, so absolutely. Um, so, depending on kind of what what you what you draw for, uh, what kind of conclusions you draw from that, or what you do with that, uh, it it could be good and it could also be be, be really bad. I've seen players uh, that are shit in the gym that are really good on the ice, uh, and vice versa. Uh, so, um, so, uh, so it, you can't really tell anything from those tests more than they have a certain standard in their athleticism uh, and we have i mean those people are those people are freaks we need to you need to we need to remember that those are genetic genetic freaks i mean the things they can do us mere mortals cannot and they will adapt to just about anything 
so you can, that's why you see all this. LeBron James has a shitty program. Uh, everybody, uh, some uh, Wayne Gretzky benched no more than 65 kilos or whatever, whatever. Yeah, but you're not Wayne Gretzky, so go to the gym. Uh, yeah. So we, I think yeah. uh, Elias Patterson, when he was a, uh, on the combine, he couldn't do one pull-up. No, no. And, he, uh, he, 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 yeah. and he's got one of the hardest shots out there. Yeah. So he's done quite all right uh, for himself. Uh, so we're not, but, but so, but we can't, we can't, we can't, can't, we can't measure with the anomalies like like the, the the last percentile. We need to kind of look at what we have in front of us and what we need to, to do with 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 those uh, those people. Uh, so um, kind of depending on what you what you're looking for. Um, so, so 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 let's wrap up with this because I do think that it's um, I think an important part though is is that you have. I mean, there is value to analyze that individual yeah. through whatever tests that that you do um, and and to be able to have a, a baseline of where you are, what your deficiencies are, so you can then put a goal in place of and and, and then a strategy to to work on it. Right. Absolutely. So you see, everybody needs to kind of get their own battery of tests. And, and the way I test people is when, when I put them on the on the on the on the table. I can test. Um, I think I can test about sixty-five muscles in in about two minutes, so I can kind of see where where there where there's limitations. And from that that limitation, you, we can kind of just search on from there and see where where, where we end up with with, with that specific player. Uh, yeah, we can't have them on, on the table. We can we can do some 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 kind of complex movement like like uh, squats or deadlifts uh, and and see if anything kind of looks weird. Uh, just to make quick tests of if we are uh, online uh, uh, with a big, big, big distance. Yeah. Uh, well, so. interesting stuff. So I, I've already mentioned your website, relevantstatic.se. What's the best way? I mean, you're on you're on LinkedIn. What's the best way for people to see you, see your stuff? What's if people are interested in coming for an assessment or start training? Um, how how do they best get in touch with you other than through 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 this media? But yeah, uh, so you can find me on I have two Instagram uh, accounts, uh, relevant stock, uh, and then I have my name Iwakim Tiander uh, on Instagram, and then LinkedIn is my name, uh, of course Iwakim Tiander, and I have a Facebook page that is also my name uh, Iwakim Tiander. I started uh, writing on those, and then that that kind of spiraled away, and now. I can't believe them because they've got, got all the the information. So so that you can find me there uh, uh, if you want to get in touch. Um, and uh, so yeah, no, so um, so the biggest thing for me is when it's the, the most pushback I get is when it comes to mobility and stability work uh, that people people really want it to be a lengthening problem when it actually is a shortening problem uh, when it comes to mobility. Uh, so you're not stiff because you're stiff. You're stiff because your muscles are not able to move you into that position that you desire it to do. And we need to fix that for in order for you to to function as you should. Yeah, great, great stuff. I, I the reason I wanted to have you on was exactly this to be able to point out. You know, um, I mean, this podcast is about inform and educate. It didn't necessarily have anything to do with Swedish junior hockey players in in specifically, but it's more about hockey players. And and I wanted to take the opportunity to kind of highlight this for for people out there that 
that um, uh, that are either parents or coaches or or players that you know this is an important area and uh, and and hopefully it hit hit the mark when it comes to inform and educate and uh, uh, hopefully also entertain a little bit as well. Absolutely. So, and I think what we need to do in the community is we need to leave the value-based training. How you huff and how you puff and if you puke in the parking lot is not an indicator of, of good training. Uh, good training is good training uh, where every kind of workout kind of builds on the next one and the next one and the next one. And that's result-driven. We need to work a lot more with that. I see a lot of uh, junior kids, just they would just work them to the ground. Because they don't want to be outworked by anybody else, and I, I'm not worried about being outworked. I'm worried about being outspotted by other coaches. Yeah. Uh, so less value-based training and more result-driven. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we'll be in touch, uh, and hopefully we can also, uh, as we mentioned before, we got a partnership with Target Aid. So I'm going to get with you about kind of a, a cause that you feel strongly about and we'll attach that somehow uh, really bad with this right now, but, but, but we're just getting started. So we'll, we'll find a way to kind of highlight your, uh, your charitable cause or your, your um, thing through target aid. So want to thank them for being a partner with the Swedish junior hockey podcast. Absolutely. So, Thanks a bunch. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was, it was really great. Yeah.